Hello and welcome to the Value Pricing Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Wickersham. I'm a chartered accountant, public speaker, and value pricing expert. In fact, I'm obsessed with value pricing and helping accounting professionals get better prices, being more valuable to their clients, make more money, and of course, have more fun. That's why I've spent over two decades teaching accountants and bookkeepers how to value price their services. These episodes are recordings from my live training sessions where I'll be teaching how to price your services, how to win more clients, and how to run a more profitable accounting firm. This session is how to create a great pricing strategy. And I have a question for you. My question for you is this. Do you have a clear pricing strategy? And the answer to that might well be no. In fact, let's even leave the word clear out. Do you have a pricing strategy? Probably no, I would guess. And don't worry because that's probably the case with with almost everybody. Most bookkeeping for bookkeepers, most accountants, most businesses full stop. If you talk to your clients, if you say to your clients, do you have a pricing strategy? Most people will look blank. (laughs) Nobody thinks of a pricing strategy. And yet this is so important. One of the things I know about our profession from talking to accountants, CPAs, bookkeepers is that as a profession, we're working crazy long hours, not making enough money. And we don't have a pricing strategy. Could there be a link? I'm going to suggest there is a very strong link between the two. I've said many times that pricing is the fastest way to change your profits. We must have a strategy. And so I thought I'd just share a little bit of my own journey and my own story. I started, I'm I'm a chartered accountant. I entered this profession in 1988, qualified as a chartered accountant in 1991, started my own accounting firm on the 31st of May, 1996. And I made so many mistakes. If if I was going to start my practice again, then there is five or six things that I would do very, very differently. One of those is I would have a pricing strategy. I never thought about pricing. I didn't know know pricing really exists as a topic. I I was brought up in the profession believing that we had to keep timesheets. I thought you had to. I thought it was a legal requirement or professional requirement that you had to keep timesheets. I was naive. I didn't know any better. I just assumed because... In my previous, what was it, eight years in the profession, I, in the firms I worked at, they all had timesheets. I assumed you had to do that. I'd assumed that you had to bill based on the hour. I knew no difference. So to me, to me, the, the issue of pricing strategy, I, it wasn't even on the radar. I had no idea that pricing was important. And so the only decision I really made was, what will my hourly rate be? What will I, what will I charge? Uh, and that was kind of just a, a number just plucked out of the air, largely based on what my charge-out rate was when I was employed as a manager in my previous job. And that's really what I based it on. I just took that number and added a bit to it because I was now my own boss. And, uh, and then as I hired people uh, in the UK, in the accounting profession, there's, there's a sort of a formula that, that most accounting firms charge a charge-out rate at somewhere between three, three and a half, four times salary costs. So I kind of just picked one of those numbers and went at three and a half times the salary cost. And magically, there was the, the hourly rate for anybody I then employed subsequently. So kind of that was the depth of my thinking right back in May 96 when it came to how do I price. I just did what I thought you were supposed to do. I didn't know any better. I was naive. And interestingly, back then... Uh, I was young. I, I, I wanted to grow a great accounting practice. I was very ambitious, wanted to b- grow a big practice. 
And, and so I went on a lot of these practice development seminars. I, I bought books on practice development. And there was a lot of talk back then about how many hours you should put on a timesheet, how many chargeable hours you should be aiming for. And there was this whole practice equation which kind of suggested that it, it, you should be aiming at uh, something like 12, 1300 hours a year. And if you do that at, at these sorts of rates, then you should have the third, a third, a third model, which basically says that whatever your fees are for the year, a third of that will be your salary costs and, 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 uh, and a third of that will be your other fixed costs and a third will be profit. Uh, and the theory was is that you make 33% net profit margin. Anyway, fast forward three or four years, I grew my practice very fast, uh, incredibly fast. I, 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 within four years, I, I got over 200 clients within two or three years. My, my annual fees were, by the end of the year, 99, 2000, there were, were 200,000 in fees. Starting, I had no fees when I started. I grew a practice fast. And it seemed like I was successful, particularly if you looked at the rate of growth, the number of people I was hiring in my team. I'd moved out of the bedroom in my house into my first offices after three months. I outgrew those offices after uh, 15 months, moved into bigger premises. I was growing fast. But I never made any money. Uh, I was always struggling. I was always going back to the bank to ask for more money because I needed more money to finance the, the bigger premises and the fixed cost space was going through the roof. Uh, and at first, I thought I was doing things right because my business was growing. And that was part of my plan to grow a big accounting firm. Yes, I was growing it, but I was working harder and harder and harder, working crazy hours. And I wasn't making money. And my debts were spiraling out of control. Uh, and it wasn't really until... End of 1998, two and a half years in, I first met a good friend of mine now, Steve Pipe, who taught me a better way in nine, towards the end of 99. I then came across value pricing. That's when I first met Ron Baker, who's now a great friend of mine. Uh, and so in 2000, 2001, I started to really get into the value pricing in my firm. Uh, and the results started to change significantly. And I'll share with you the results uh, in, a in a short while. But Looking back in those first few years, I, I, I made so many mistakes. I had no pricing strategy. I didn't have any strategy whatsoever. Th this was one of the crazy things that I would do. I was growing fast. The way that I grew my business, I, I did lots of marketing. I was good at marketing. That was perhaps the one thing I got right. I, I, I figured out a way to get four appointments every single week with potential clients, roughly four appointments. And I converted about 50%. So I got two new clients every single week. That's how I grew inside two and a bit years to 200 clients. I, I, I had a system, a marketing system. I grew very fast. Um, but my, but the thing I didn't know is how to price. I, I had no idea. I had no strategy. I, I just knew I had to keep timesheets or thought I had to keep timesheets. And so I'd go out and see these prospective clients and, and I'd, I'd talk about all the wonderful things I could do to help them. I, I came from a tax background. So for me, when I met with a potential client, I'd often talk about tax. I would, I'd ask them for at the start of the meeting, I'd say, uh, let me share with you some tax ideas. And, and if you, if you could just let me have a copy of your last set of accounts, I'll be able to pick up on some thoughts of, that, of how you could save some tax. So they'd give me a copy of the accounts and I'd go through them. I'd look at things like um, their profit. Could they save tax by incorporating? I'd look at their, their balance sheet and I'd come up with tax planning ideas because I was good at that. But the real reason I asked for the accounts was because I went to the back page and on the back page was the detailed profit and loss account. And what I was doing during the meeting was I was secretly looking for the number that said audit and accountancy fees. And I would make a mental note of that number. And so this is the extent of my pricing strategy. At the end of the meeting, they'd say, so Mark, what's, what's going to, this sounds great. You, you, I've never heard these, some of these tax planning ideas are great. We'd really like to work with you. What's the price going to be? 
And I would at that point kind of panic because I had no idea. I didn't have to answer that question. I had no idea. I haven't done the work yet. I don't know how many hours it's going to take. How do you give a price? So I said to him, look, what I'll do is I'll go away and I'll think about it. I'll create a proposal for you and I'll send it through you through the, the post, the mail. We didn't have email so much back in those days. And magically what I would do, this, again, I suppose this was sort of my strategy if I had one, is once I'd found out what the previous accountant was charging, I would then go with my proposal at a number that was very similar, usually 10% less. And I was signing up lots of clients. No surprise. What a stupid thing to do. I, I was basically competing on price. I was, I was winning business because I was going in at the same or lower price. Uh, and it's such a crazy thing to do because for all sorts of reasons. One of the things I now know through benchmarking studies is that most accountants, most bookkeepers are too cheap. So the wor if you're winning new business, the worst people you can attempt to copy is the previous accountant, the previous bookkeeper. They're too cheap. So you do not want to copy their price. And also one thing, I, it never occurred to me. I, I did so many stupid things in those early days. It didn't occur to me at the time, the obvious thing, that if they're looking to change accountant to work with me, there must be something they're not happy about with their existing relationship with the existing accountant. And so if they're looking to move to me, there's something more they want. And if they want something more, then obviously it should be a higher price. But I never thought of that. I thought, okay, I can do more and I can do it for a lower price. So I had no strategy. And that's why I seriously struggled in my first two or three years in my accounting firm. So we must have a pricing strategy. Absolutely, we must have some clarity. And essentially, there are really only three strategies that you can pursue. This is for any business. There's only really three strategies. One of them, one of them is called low-cost leadership. What low-cost leadership means, essentially, is that you pursue a strategy of being the cheapest in your industry, in your sector. And you become the cheapest because of the fact that you create something within your business model that means you've got lower costs and nobody can compete with you. Now, that's really important. It is, it is possible to build a very successful, very profitable business pursuing low-cost leadership as a pricing strategy. However, it's very, very difficult. There are many, many things you have to have in place to do that. And one of the things is that in any market, there's only enough room for two, maximum three people in that space. If we think of the airline industry, and, and if you think about the European airline industry, uh, it was shaken up a, a decade or so ago by the, the budget airline. So EasyJet came in and completely changed the model. And then Ryanair. EasyJet and less so Ryanair now, they're having a few challenges, but EasyJet and Ryanair became very successful, very profitable, following low-cost leadership. Over the last decade or so, many other airlines have come into the space to try and also be budget airlines, and they come and they go. We see them going bust all the time because there's only enough space for a couple of players in that industry. And, and we see this in many industries. If you look at the supermarket industry, we have Lidl, for example, uh, is very, very successful as a, as a low-budget, low-cost leadership supermarket chain. It can be done. It's a valid pricing strategy to be the cheapest. But the key is you have to have something about your cost structure, your business model that nobody else can copy. Because if somebody else can create a business with the same structure and then compete on your price, then you'll end up having to reduce your price further. You get into a price war. Nobody wins from a price war. And the thing about the accounting industry, whether you're an accountant, a bookkeeper, a tax planner, is I believe that 
you can't pursue low-cost leadership because when you understand the things that have to be in place, it's pretty much impossible for a small accounting firm to do those things because you need economies of scale. You need to be big is one of the things that you have to have. And also there's only enough space for one or two. And so there will be, in our industry, there will be low-cost leadership. There will be people that can come in cheaper for bookkeeping work, accounting work, but they won't be accountants. They won't be bookkeepers. They will be the technology companies, the the, the big technology companies. They can do this. We can't. So low-cost leadership is, is a strategy of being purposely cheap, but it only works if you've got certain things in place, and one of those is a particular cost structure which people can't compete on. The other strategy is the other end of the spectrum. It's what I call high value, high differentiation. This is where you set your strategy to make sure that you add huge amounts of value and be better and different to everybody else. You become premium and you charge a price that's appropriate. You become a premium price, premium quality business. And what you find Over and over again, in any industry, the firms, the businesses that pursue that strategy are usually the ones that stay around the longest and are the most successful. You think about coffee and you look at Costa Coffee, you look at Starbucks, they're very expensive. They're a premium end, premium price. You look at Apple is a great example. And it's exactly the same in the accounting industry. The firms that focus on being better and being different and being purposely expensive make more money. And the interesting thing is, we often assume, and this is, this is incorrect, we assume that if we want to grow our business and win more clients, we, want to, we need to be the cheapest. If we're cheaper, we will win more business. And actually, strangely enough, it's the other way around. When you focus on quality and being the best, you win more business. You only have to look at the, the massive market share of, of the, the coffee chains like Starbucks. There, so many people go to Starbucks even though it's the cheapest. You look at Apple, in the last decade or so, the the growth of their market share is staggering. So sometimes we think being cheap will win more business, and it's very often the opposite. It's about being premium. Being better will attract better quality clients. Now, there is a third strategy. I call it the default strategy. The default strategy sits somewhere in the middle. The default strategy is copying everybody else in your industry and being average. And one of the things I would suggest in the accounting industry is that, and having done many benchmarking studies on uh, how much accountants and bookkeepers earn and price, being average is not a nice place to be. Most people in our profession are working crazy hours, not making enough money. I would not want to be average, and you should not want to be average either. So my advice to you is there's three options. You either pursue low-cost leadership and be cheap, which will fail in our industry, or you go with the default strategy and be the same as everybody else which means you will end up, you end up working crazy long hours for the rest of your life uh, and not make enough money, or you change your strategy and decide that you want to focus on being the best, being the highest quality, giving great value to your clients, giving the best possible solutions, and charging appropriately. Well, I hope you're enjoying this episode so far. And of course, we're not done yet. But before we continue... If you're looking for more free training and help, here are three things you can do. First, connect with me on LinkedIn. Tell me you listen to my podcast and I'll send you some links to some free resources. Next, be sure to visit my YouTube channel containing hundreds of training videos. Hit the subscribe button and the bell to get notified when I upload new content. 
and join my Facebook group, Value Pricing with Mark Wickersham, and be part of a community of accounting professionals getting better at pricing. Okay, let's continue. So let's move on to, there's these three strategies. What I want to move on to next is, okay, so as part of strategy, your pricing strategy, there are some key ingredients you need to think about. In fact, these are part of marketing strategy because pricing strategy and marketing strategy are very much related. Pricing is one of the four P's of marketing. We can't really separate them. Your pricing strategy should be part of your marketing strategy. So I suppose my next question would be, do you have a clear marketing strategy? And again, very often, most accountants, most bookkeepers would say, no, I haven't. And we need to have one. And again, thinking about my accounting firm, when I started in 96, I didn't have a marketing strategy. And that was a huge mistake. And there's really three key components of this. Of build, of when you build your strategy or your marketing strategy, there's three key components you have to build. The first one is what I call your ideal client profile. You have to think about who is the right client for you. And of course, who is the wrong client? When I started my accounting firm in May 1996, I'd never thought that through. Uh, I did something which uh, someone once told me is the mirror test. The mirror test is you get a mirror, you hold up in front of their mouth. If the mirror fogs up, you take them on as a client, which basically means if they breathe, you would take them on. That was very much me. I, I would take on anybody. Anybody that passed my, by, by the office and walked in and said they want an accountant, yeah, let's sign you up straight away. I had no strategy when it came to marketing. Anybody would do. Anybody that had a checkbook, whether they actually got it out of their pocket or not, would do. Uh, and, and I grew fast. But I had a mixed bag of clients. Within three, three years, I had a crazy mixed bag of clients and, and some rubbish clients, some great clients, but also some very poor clients. So your first thing to do is think about who is your ideal client? You must be really clear on that. Uh, and who are the wrong clients? When I look back at my practice, Things that happened like, for example, I always wanted to, because I because of my tax background, I really wanted owner-managed businesses, people that were growing their a family business, for example, turning over, I don't know, at least a half a million, and ideally one or two million was what I really wanted. Not too big. I didn't want the big audit clients that were 10 million plus, but somewhere around about a million, two million was a perfect size client because there's a lot of stuff you can get into with advisory, with tax planning, and so on. That's kind of what I wanted, but I never articulated that because I, want, because I didn't think of this. And so what happened was I, I picked up taxi drivers, corner shops. Uh, I happened to pick up two or three subcontractors. These were people like bricklayers on building sites. And because I did a good job, a great job, I got referrals. But what I found was my referrals were more people like them. So I soon became, without wanting to, a kind of a, almost a semi-specialist in the building trade because I had so many subcontractors, because I was doing things like going around to their house to sign off the accounts and stuff. I, I would travel everywhere. I'd work crazy hours. I gave, a, I gave, a, gave an amazing service. And so these subbies said, you're amazing. Let me recommend somebody at bricklayers and plasterers and joiners on the building site. And I'd get more of these people. Before I knew it, I had 30, 40 clients who were in the subcontracting industry. And they're all kind of one, 200 pound clients. And I never, made, I never made any money on that. That wasn't what I wanted. I didn't want to build a practice doing that. But because I'd not stopped to think about what I really wanted, I just took on anybody. So step one, we have to think about what is the ideal client? What do they look like? What industry are they in? What size are they? What are their characteristics? You need to create that. Now, once you've done that, that's the first step. Step two in the process is, okay, so now I know what's the right type of client. What is it that these people specifically want from their accounting professional? 
because everybody wants different things. Some clients just want you to do the books. Some clients want tax planning. Some clients want business advice. Okay, they want a bit of everything. So we try to please all our clients. We end up doing too much stuff. We have too many clients all wanting different stuff. So we try to please everybody and we end up running ourselves ragged. Once you know who your right client is, figure out what they want. Just ask them. Ask them, what, what sort of things would you want? And, and what you would find is that if you have a client base full of owner-managed businesses making between, doing between one and two million of revenue, then I can almost promise you the sorts of things they want from an accounting professional is very different to what, for example, taxi drivers would want from an accounting professional. They probably want cheap data entry. So ask your ideal clients, what do they want? In an ideal world, if they could wave a magic wand, what would they want from their, their bookkeeper or their accountant? And then step three in the process is then say to yourself, okay, this is what they want. Which of these things can I do better than anybody else? What can I do that's better than anybody else? And so if your ideal client happens to be people who are turning over a million, two million owner managed businesses, and you talk to them and you find out they want help with growing their business to the next level, for example, that might be one of the things on their list. You might say to yourself, you know what? I've got some expertise in there. I'm going to be the expert at helping own managed businesses grow to the next level, to get over that barrier that many people have, to go from one or two million to get towards 10 million. And, and once you've done that, once you've got that ideal client and you know how you're going to deliver what they want better than anybody else, you now have an expertise, you have a specialism, you can charge premium prices. And when you build that into your marketing and your pricing, you will attract more of the right type of clients. You will get more of those clients. So let me kind of wrap up with... I want to kind of go back to my story. So I, I wish, I wish when I started my firm in, in May 96 that I hadn't made the mistakes I did. I, I wish I could start again sometimes because I made crazy mistakes. I made several mistakes that I would do different. One of which was not having a pricing strategy, another not having a marketing strategy. I would do things very, very different. I learned about uh, these, these concepts of strategy. I learned about them in kind of towards the end of 98, 99. I met, I learned them from people like Steve Pipe from, uh, from Paul Dunn of the accountants bootcamp fame. I, I learned about the importance of these things in 99. And so I started to change my practice and particularly in the year 2000 uh, was when I started to re-engineer my practice. I realized I'd made so many mistakes. So 2000, 2001 was, was a period of big change for me. Now, it took a couple of years because, the, because I'd made so many mistakes for so many years and built this big practice. The bigger your practice, the harder it is to, to change things around. So much easier if you're smaller and at the start of your journey, but it's much easier to turn things around at the outset, which is why I wish I'd done these things right in the first place. But let me just share with you some of the, the numbers and some of the things that I did. So it was the end of 1999. I decide I need to have a pricing strategy. I need to start moving to value pricing. I need to figure out how to do that. So I learned everything I could about value pricing. I started to put systems in place. I started testing things, testing different prices. Uh, the, one of the first things I did was in, in, in 99 was, was create for some of my services, my tax planning services in corporations, I created menu pricing. I, gave, I came up with a bronze, silver, gold, and I started to document what I did in a different way. I started to have conversations, the value conversation, in a different way. And what I found over 99, 2000, 2001 with some of these services was when I'd got these systems in place, I was getting, in some cases, three times the price of what I was getting from before. And I was doing nothing different. The same service, delivering the same thing 
But because I'd structured the pricing in a different way, it wasn't pricing based on the hour. It was giving them a price up front, but giving them choices, explaining the value better, having a better conversation. And what was surprising is that people were willing to pay me more than three times my old price. Nobody said that's expensive. Nobody said that was expensive because because I was able to have the value conversation and build up the value. And so I started to see some big changes in my practice in, in 99, 2000, 2001. I was getting much bigger prices. I was putting pricing systems in place. Uh, I then realized, though, that this was mainly what I was tackling was the issue with new clients and new services. I still had in 2000, despite the changes I was making, I still had the big problem of way too many clients that were the wrong type. I'd started to, to document my ideal client strategy. What was the right client? What was the wrong client? And I started to focus on putting my prices up. I went through a process in 2000 and 2001, where in two years, I repriced all my existing clients. I used a process I sometimes teach called the renewal contract letter. What I did in 2000 is I, I realized I'd got over 200 clients many of whom were small clients that weren't part of my where I wanted to be in the future. I had all these subcontractors in the building industry. I had all these taxi drivers, corner shops. That wasn't the right business for me. And so I decided I wanted to cull my practice, I, I, my client base. I actually wanted to lose 40%. I did some numbers and worked out that if I lost the bottom, the smallest 40% by fee, the smallest 40%, I could replace that 40% with two or three more good quality clients of the right type. And so I did that by putting my prices up. I sent out a, a letter to everybody in 2000 with uh, what the price would be, kind of hoping that I'd lose lots of clients. Unfortunately, I kind of failed on that one because I only got rid of about, only about 5% left. I put the price up by 20% on average, 5% left. So I, it, it kind of failed a little bit, but at least the price went up. So I repeated it in 2001. In 2001, I wrote to them all again a year later and said the price is going up again by 20% and a few more left. Uh, and things started to change at that point in, in a major way. So let me share with you some numbers. These are numbers that I don't share very often, but I'm happy to share with you. So remember, I started in May 1996. On the 31st of May, I had zero clients. I built the practice from scratch. By uh, March, which is my financial year end, March 2000, my financial year end, 99-2000, my total fees in my accounting firm was £195,000. 195. In 2001, a year later, my fees grew from 195 to 280,000. Now, that was a huge jump, uh, almost 100, almost 100,000 in fees. That was because in 2000, 2001, thanks to Steve Pipe, I'd learned about the power of consulting work and advisory work, and I started doing higher level work. I did a couple of 30,000 pound consulting projects in 2001, which helped to increase my fees from 195 to 280. But then in 2002, my fees became 180K. So let me just repeat that. They were 195, they grew to 280, and then they dropped to 180, dropped to, down to 180. And you're probably thinking, Mark, that's crazy. Your practice has died pretty much overnight. Uh, no. What happened was this. I had way too many clients at the wrong time. In 2000, I had 195 clients. Sorry, 195,000 in, in fees. I had, I'd grown to 13 team members. 10 of whom were char chargeable. They were, they were mainly trainees and a couple of qualified people. I had, a, I had 10 people, in the, 13 in the team, 10 chargeable. If you do the math, I started to measure, I started to measure key KPIs, key predictive indicators. I started to measure the ratios. And uh, this will make you laugh. My average 
um, my, my fees per chargeable person were about 19,000. Put it another way, up until 2000, I was working like crazy, really hard to generate enough fees to pay my employees. There was nothing left for me. For four years, I was almost working for free. I made a little bit, but not a lot. So it was a cra- crazy. My fees per chargeable person were 19,000. I had 195 clients at that point in time, and uh, another important measure, and a measure that you should measure uh, as part of your strategy and your KPIs, is what is the average fee per client? My average fee per client was less than 1,000. Two years later, I'd grown it, and then in 2002, it was 180,000. My fees had gone 195, up to 280, down to 180. But what's really important is what happened in terms of the restructure of the practice. As I started to get rid of the clients that didn't meet my ideal client profile, what happened was I also, as I reduced my client base, and my client web base went from 195 to 120 in two years. I was gradually getting rid of the, the, the smaller clients, the ones that didn't fit the fit. So I went from 195 to 120 clients in two years. My average fee per client went from under 1,000 to 1,500. And that's a really important number because I found over and over again through benchmarking studies, through working with accountants now and helping them with this, is that the average fee per client is a good predictor of how profitable you will be. Firms that have a higher average fee per client, simply take your fees for your firm, divide by the number of clients, what's that number? The bigger that number is, it's very likely you will make more money. So I went from sub 1,000 to 1,500, partly by pricing higher, partly by losing the smaller clients. But here was the really interesting thing. I reduced the clients from 195 to 120 in two years. I also, though, reduced the team from 13 to four. I didn't need all these juniors and trainees and so on. I ended up with one admin person, uh, two managers, and then one support person that supported the two managers. So there were four people. Three of them did the client work. By then, I'd stopped doing client work. I was then teaching accountants, doing something else. Uh, so my practice was the two managers, someone that, uh, someone that worked with them, plus an admin person. And the fees per chargeable person went from 19K to 60K. Suddenly, what happened in two years is, yes, the total revenue came down, but the profits went from nothing to being a nice, profitable firm. And I then shortly afterwards negotiated with the client managers. There were the two of them, Steve and Jonathan. A few years later, they bought the accounting firm off me. They would never have bought it in 2000. In 2000, my firm was a mess. It was growing like crazy, but in a complete disorganized mess. Two years later, of two years of re-engineering, of, of focusing on the right clients, the right pricing strategy. Yes, I'd reduce my clients. Yes, I'd reduce my fees. But I also reduced my costs significantly, reduced the team. But most important, the profit went up very, very significantly. And I think a key lesson from that, which you've probably heard of, and is a phrase that's often called um, revenue is vanity or sales is vanity, uh, profit is sanity. Too often, and I think as an, in our accounting profession, we're obsessed with winning clients. We're obsessed with gross recurring fees, with top line. We should stop focusing on the number of clients and boasting about how many wonderful clients we've got. We should focus on profits. It's not about the number of clients. It's about the quality of clients. It's about your ideal client profile. It's about having the right clients paying the right price. So that's about building a great strategy. You need to stop and think about what is your pricing strategy? Are you going to be the cheapest in town or are you going to be the best and be the most expensive? And I promise you, pretty much every single time, the person that aims with the higher price by being better than everybody else wins. So think about your strategy, 
And then think about leading on from that, what is your marketing strategy going to be? Who is your ideal client? What sort of things do they want? And how are you going to deliver? How are you going to deliver the things that the right type of clients want? And then don't do the rest of the stuff. We could, we, we could do everything in life, but the more you focus, the more you focus on the right client and doing the right stuff that's going to, that's going to that's the stuff you enjoy, the stuff that you can become the best at, and the stuff that those clients will pay a premium price for, that's the key to building a very profitable, very successful accounting firm. Well, that's all for today's episode. If you want to learn more about value pricing, you can join my Facebook group, Value Pricing with Mark Wickersham. It's a community of thousands of accounting professionals. If you want to take things to another level, you can enroll in the Value Pricing Academy or one of my other academies. Find out more when you head to www.wickersham.co.uk. Members of the Value Pricing Academy learn how to price better, how to master business advisory, and how to build more successful and enjoyable accounting firms. I'll be back soon with another episode of the Value Pricing Podcast. See you soon.